0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mass Mutual. The Financial Educators Council says 39% of Americans don't have someone to go to for financial advice, but you can plan for the short and long term with someone backed by 170 years of financial expertise at MassMutual.com.
1: This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. Our guest, Paul Giamatti, stars in the film The Holdovers, which is on many critics' lists of 2023's best movies. His performance just won him a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy Film. Our producer, Sam Brigger, spoke with Giamatti before the awards ceremony about the movie and his career. Here's Sam.
2: In The Holdovers, Paul Giamatti plays a pompous and lonely classics professor named Paul Hunnam at a New England boarding school for boys in 1970. He's almost universally disliked by other faculty members and by students because of his impossibly high academic standards and merciless grading. The students also mock him behind his back because he has a lazy eye and bad body odor. The body odor is uncontrollable, the result of a rare disease commonly known as fish odor syndrome. But he doesn't do himself any favors in the way he treats his students, as he does here in this scene, handing out his students graded final
3: exams. I can tell by your faces that many of you are shocked at the outcome. I, on the other hand, am not, because I have had the misfortune of teaching you this semester. And even with my ocular limitations, I witness firsthand your glazed, uncomprehending expressions. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. No, it's... uh, I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. I'm supposed to go to Cornell. Unlikely.
2: Hunnam also flunked a former student, the son of a major donor, dashing his chances of going to Princeton and going against the wishes of the school's headmaster. The headmaster decides to punish him. Hunnam must babysit students that have nowhere to go over winter vacation. At first, he has a handful of kids under his care, but most are rescued by one of their fathers, who whisks them off in a helicopter for a ski vacation, leaving only one, a smart but surly junior named Angus Tully, played by Dominic Sessa, whose mother and stepfather can't be reached to get permission for him to leave, as they're off on an overdue honeymoon. Hunnam and Angus make up a trio with the school's head cook, Mary, played by Davine Joy Randolph. Mary is mourning her son, Marcus, who was a scholarship student at the boarding school, but was killed in Vietnam. These three broken and lonely people, thrust together haphazardly, find a bond growing between them as they face the loneliest holiday. This is Paul Giamatti's second starring role in a movie by Alexander Payne. The first was the 2004 film Sideways. Paul Giamatti has also starred in American Splendor, Private Life, and Win-Win. He played the title role in the HBO miniseries John Adams and starred in the Showtime series Billions, which ended its run last October after seven seasons. Paul Giamatti, welcome back to Fresh Air.
3: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
2: So Alexander Payne has said that he wrote the role of Paul Hunnam for you. What was it about the character
3: that interested you? Well, everything about it. I mean, first of all, it was the fact that he was going to direct it that interested Mm -hmm. me about it. You know, I would sort of do anything he wanted me to do. (laughs) Um, I think I found the setting interesting. I found the time period interesting. Interesting. I found the Christmas story aspect of it the sort of Scrooge-like story of sort of of kind of redemption and and change and rebirth and selflessness interesting. The character was really wonderful, the language is wonderful. I think I found the character quite touching because I thought he's a guy who as far as he's concerned, is doing absolutely the right thing. He's, he's created this sort of persona for himself that, that feels very comfortable and safe to him at this place and conveying classical values in this way. And he's created this kind of fantasy world for himself. And uh, it, it comes apart a little bit as mm-hmm. the story goes on. This guy sort of has to let go of a lot of his shtick, in some ways. And uh, I thought that was interesting. Is it tricky to play a role
2: where in the movie, the character is disliked by lots of people, but you have to play that person in a way that the audience can empathize
3: with? Yeah, that's always sort of difficult. I mean, I think, um, you know, he's lived in this strange, rarefied world in this world of intellect. And you know, he's hobbled by his own intellect. It's, you know, the thing that, that makes him feel superior is the thing that keeps separating him, too. And, right. you know, he just doesn't go about anything the right way. But he's not wrong a lot of the time. So hopefully that comes across as somewhat appealing. But also I thought, you know, he's somewhat self-aware. He's He takes pleasure in his own nasty wit in a way that hopefully is funny to people and And makes him somewhat appealing, so you worked with Alexander Payne once
2: before, and by all accounts, that was a positive experience all <laughs> <Yes>. around. Um, <laughs> so working with this person that you hadn 't worked with in about almost twenty years, mm-hmm. did that provide you an uh, opportunity to reflect on how you 've changed as an actor? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, I hope I hope I have. I, I, I've asked Alexander, and he's very cagey about it. He won't give me a straight answer about it. I'm like, "Am I? Was I better? Was I better? Was I even better than I used to be?" And he's very cagey about it. And he sort of he, he says, "You're you're pretty much the same." And I liked you before, and I liked you now. Um, yeah, I mean, it it was interesting. The whole thing has been interesting. This sort of full circle thing coming back twenty years later. I. I think that that first experience was different because, I mean, I had never done anything like that before. I had never had this much responsibility before in playing a lead role and stuff. And working with somebody I really admired and I was very nervous, Mm. you know, and that was gone. I mean, I'm... I'm old and jaded now, I'm not as, <laughs> I'm not as nervous now, you know and that, but and in some ways I miss those nerves, you know mm-hmm. maybe in some ways those nerves are useful. Um, I definitely I think I have more command of things. Am I better or anything like that? I don't know, but I was more relaxed, that's for sure, and with him, I was even more relaxed mm-hmm. because I trust him a lot so this movie takes
2: place at a boarding school in 1970. You actually were a student at a boarding school in the 80s. You (laughs) you were a day student. So a decade later, although I I bet these places don't change that quickly. (laughs) Um, And you said that that in preparation for the role, you thought a lot about your past and the people in it. I'm assuming the sort of people
3: that went to your school. Mm. What did you take from those memories? I did go to a school like that 10 years on from when the movie set. And it wasn't, I don't think, very different. There were girls there. Oh, that's, uh, that's a big would, difference. Made, big, big difference, yes. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, but a lot of those men were still there. Mm. And for the most part, those they were men like this and these old school guys. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just... The school, my, my whole life, I grew up around teachers and academia. My father was a professor. My mother was a teacher. My grandparents were all teachers and professors. So teaching, teachers and teaching were around me a lot. But for sure, being a day student at one of those places is different than living there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in some ways it could probably give me a an anthropological perspective on it that maybe you don't have if you live there. Mm. So I had some distance on it to be able to observe it in some ways. Um, But absolutely, I mean, it was an interesting part to play. It's an interesting movie for me to watch because I think there was a ton of unconscious uh, memories um, affecting my system and I was ending up calling up all kinds of people I wasn't even aware of. Hmm. Uh, I was watching it and thinking, oh, my God, I just reminded myself of this colleague of my father's. I didn't even realize I was doing that. I had a friend who wrote to me and said – I went to high school with him and he said, oh, you were were clearly – doing the head librarian in this whole thing. And I thought, I didn't even think about the head librarian, but he's right. I do seem like the head librarian. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there was a ton, there was a deep well of people I was drawing on for this thing, even unconsciously. Some of it was conscious. I had a biology teacher who was very much like this guy, and I thought about him a lot. And I thought about these men a lot, you know, and they're interesting characters. They're they're complicated, interesting guys. In some interviews, you've said...
2: That a lot of these teachers had shticks, like they kind of leaned into these personas. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: can you do, explain that a little bit more? Well, I think it's true. I mean, I think you know, this, 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 the schools are a shtick in a lot of ways. They're a shtick. They're 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 a play on the British system of sort of Eton and Harrow and all these sort of you know all these things that have been transplanted here, which is weird to begin with. And you know, it's it's a it's a shtick people love, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's a really sort of beloved thing. I mean, I think it's one of the people reasons people love Harry Potter so much is it's basically a British schoolboy story, right. you know. And so I think that, yeah, there's a lot of kind of playing the role that's that that's expected of you. And, and as I say, there's a lot of comfort in it. I think for these guys, there's a lot of comfort in the pipe smoke and the tweed and the sherry and the you know and and all of this sort of stuff. Um, so it 's kind of like armor almost yes I, th- I think it is i mean I, and that, yes, and it becomes a sort of protective carapace too I mean, I think it 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 functions as that too it's safe feeling and mm-hmm. protective.
2: Your character has a lazy eye, and you 've sworn not to say how that <laughs> was created, which is fine i won 't ask you about that <laughs> okay. um, but you also uh you have this rare disorder whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it's mm-hmm. commonly known as fish odor syndrome mm-hmm. um, where the character's body is unable to break down this chemical and, and has just a really unfortunate um, body odor issue. So you know, as an audience, we, we only have so many senses to experience the movie. <laughs> But unfortunately, um, I guess in this case, but I was wondering, like, do, like, do you think about that in your character as you're acting them? Like, I'm I'm assuming you didn't spray yourself. With some no, sort of no. Listen, odor.
3: there would be people who would worry who would have like yeah. codfish, codfish cakes in their pockets and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and I thought about doing that just to just to sort of mess with Dom in particular. But um, <laughs> but I didn't do that. Um I mean there's ways in which yes it, the the body odor thing is is I keep there's a there's a kind of you know saying in theater particularly when you do Shakespeare that if you're playing the king, you don't have to play the king. Everyone around you plays that you are the king. Yeah. And so I don't need to play that I smell like fish. Everybody around me gotcha. needs to play that I smell like fish. He's used to smelling like fish. you right. know. So it, to, to a certain extent, they need to do it. There was actually some thinking in this movie. It was interesting with the hair and makeup people. They said to me in particular, you know... <laughs> Believe it. bathe as little as possible if you can <laughs> and I said okay so and i think it i think it probably helps you know to give me an appearance of sort of you know there's a tactile sense probably about the guy that right. comes across sort of because of that and, yes yeah. and sort of you know and so that, that that helps too
2: so one of your co-leads in the holdover is dominic Sesso, um This is his first movie. What was it like (laughs) acting with him, someone who's
3: never been in a movie before? Yeah. I mean, it was very nearly the first acting he'd done. I mean, he'd only done a couple of plays, I think, in high school. Uh, He was a student at one of the schools we shot at, Deerfield Mm -hmm. Academy. And he was still a student. He turned 19 just before we started shooting the the movie. And he'd taken a year off because he'd injured himself in sports. And uh, or some time off, so he was he was a little bit older. Um, he was wonderful. I mean, I thought he was when I they showed me his audition tape. Just Alexander, so you say, what do you think of this kid? I, I'm thinking about this kid, and it might be risky, but and I thought he was extraordinary looking. He's magnetic to just look at. I thought he seemed so intelligent too, which was important in the character. Um, so I met with him to just work with him and loved him. He is a lovely guy. And working with him was really easily one of my favorite things I've done in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of ways because he was so fresh to it, you know, and his and he was so thoughtful about it. And in some ways, you know, I I I've gotten very proficient with things. I can do stuff fast and easy and you know, move on and do my thing and and it was wonderful to have this guy who was less acquainted and more questioning and more in in all ways and to sort of slow down and and just take it easy with him was really nice. you know he was a lovely lovely guy i loved I loved acting with him,
2: so you know I rewatched sideways in preparation for this interview, and I was thinking there was probably going to be some similarities between the character Paul Hunnam and Miles from Sideways. But rewatching, there's actually a lot of similarities. Like um, both are misanthropes who feel superior to a lot of people they encounter. Both are would-be writers, although um, they're teaching to kids and not necessarily always happy about that. Both have a pretty severe drinking problem. And, and in some ways, you, know, you could see the character from the holdovers at what might happen to Miles from Sideways if he doesn't... End up with his love interest at the end of that movie.
3: It is interesting, and you know, it's it's a subject that both Alexander and I kind of danced around and didn't really talk about. And it's it's very funny that we didn't, because certainly you could see some. I could see all these similarities too. It'd be better asked to him how much he was consciously doing that, how much he meant to do that. That in some sense, you really are seeing a similar guy at a different stage of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly, it's certainly, I I could, you're absolutely right. There's lots of similarities. There's ways in which it didn't feel the same to me, though, too. He doesn't feel like the same guy to me. He feels like a more, I like this guy better than the other guy. Hmm. Um, I feel like he's got more kind of backbone, Mm -hmm. sort of. He's less self-pitying. He's more sort of, I think he's funnier. I think he's kind of... I just think he's got more going on than the other guy. Um, I liked him better as a as a person and a presence. I, I found him more fun to play. I, I I liked it. Maybe that could be the same guy 20 years on that I'm enjoying. I don't know. But um, but I, I could definitely see it. And in some ways, I, I remembered thinking at a certain point, it's a funny way maybe it is like sort of the sequel to Sideways that would never get made as technically a sequel to Sideways. I don't know. Right. But um, Alexander would be a good guy to ask about it. But in a funny way, we kind of avoided ever talking about it. I can't imagine a sideways two, but. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, no, you can't. You really can't. So maybe this is some sort of extension of it. Yeah.
2: Well, your character, Miles, is a lover of wine, particularly Pinot Noir. In fact, that movie probably increased the cost of Pinot Noir across (laughs) the country. Um, But I I wanted to play a clip. Uh, where your love interest, Maya, played by Virginia Madsen, asks you why you love that wine so much. And, you know, your character, Miles, is, is talking about wine, but he's also really talking about himself. So yeah. let, let's hear that.
1: No, can I ask you a personal question, Miles? Sure. Why are you so into Pinot? <laughs> I mean, it's like a thing with you. <laughs>
3: uh. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's a hard grape to grow, as you know, right? It's, uh, it's thin-skinned temperamental, ripens early. It's You know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet, which can just grow anywhere and uh, thrive even when it's neglected. Now Pinot needs constant care and attention. You know, and in fact, it can only grow in these really specific little tucked away corners of the world. And and only the most patient and nurturing of growers can do it, really. Only somebody who really takes the time to understand Pinot's potential can then coax it into its fullest expression. And then, I mean, <laughs> Oh, it's flavors they are just the most haunting and brilliant and thrilling and subtle and ancient on the planet.
2: That's a scene from Sideways with our guest Paul Giamatti and Virginia Madsen. First of all, I just love how Virginia Madsen prefaces that question with, can I ask you a personal question? I was just
3: thinking the same thing, how funny that is, that that's the deeply personal question. (laughs) It's very funny. So do you
2: remember doing that scene?
3: Yes, very much so. I remember it vividly. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, can you talk
2: about I mean I'm sure that I'm sure when you saw the script you're like, "Oh, this is a really good speech."
3: <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a really good scene, you know, and and I thought it was a nice speech. Yeah. And um you know, it's 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 he he's not aware so much as she is of what they're really talking about you know she's she's the one who's much more aware than than him and so she sort of picks it up and really really brings it home with a beautiful speech that kind of freaks him out because then he realizes what they're actually talking about and it sort of it hits him and you know he's 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 really fallen for this woman um but I remember shooting it absolutely. I mean, it was a wonderful. I remember every second of making that movie, yeah. probably because I was very nervous, but also because it was a really special experience. I mean, it just felt I'd never done anything like it before, and and until holdovers, I'd never really done anything quite like it again. Mm. Um, because of the sort of intimate atmosphere that he creates, and that was a very lovely, quiet, intimate evening that the whole crew was having. You know, and it was. I remember it vividly. And she was wonderful in it and just absolutely entrancing in it. And uh, I remember it very well.
2: Well, let's take another short break here. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with actor Paul Giamatti, who stars in the new movie The Holdovers. More after a break. I'm Sam Brigger and this is Fresh Air.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor Redfin.
0: FX is Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, here with a promo for a special conversation I had with my co-host, Tanya Mosley, only available for our Fresh Air Plus supporters. When I'm going through a really hard time, I sometimes just think about that, like all the people who I've met through interviews who've, who've come out the other end intact.
4: Terry, I can only imagine... The lessons you've learned over time. I mean, it's more than a self-help book because just in the year that I've been doing this show, I learned so much with every single interview I do.
1: Tanya and I select our favorite interviews of 2023 and talk to each other about talking in a new bonus episode only available on Fresh Air Plus. Find out more and join for yourself at plus.npr.org.
2: Our guest is actor Paul Giamatti. He stars in the movie The Holdovers as a lonely and pompous classics professor at a boys' boarding school in 1970. This is the second film he's made with director Alexander Payne. The first was the hit movie Sideways from 2004. Paul Giamatti has also starred in American Splendor, Private Life, and Win-Win. He played the title role in the HBO miniseries John Adams. He also was starring in the Showtime series Billions, which ended its seventh and final season this past October. So do you recall what it was about acting that first appealed to you?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to articulate. I mean, I had always loved play acting. I mean, from the time I was a very little kid, dressing up and being a character, and particularly as a kid sort of monstrous and grotesque things. I was very drawn to sort of like uh, werewolves and mummies and things like that and sort of strange characters, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I enjoyed sort of always the school plays and stuff. But I think when I did it in high school, there was a kind of sense of connection that, and communication that was almost shockingly joyous that I felt i you know it was not the easiest place in the world that place mm-hmm. and the rough environments and right. and I felt a kind of you know for lack of a better word not, not not that I felt seen or something but I felt connected to people to the other actors and to the and I felt a sense of of communal effort that was really really exciting to me and as much as playing the character and getting laughs and doing all those things was great. When I think about it now, I think it was, it was genuinely this feeling of connection. And I can't articulate it much better than that. As I said before, you went to a boarding school, but you were a day student.
2: It sounds like maybe you didn't fit in that well at the school. Did the acting help that?
3: I think so. It felt like it did. And, and it's interesting. I, I, I didn't feel enormously comfortable there i came from a school that was very kind of very different i came from a very kind of progressive private school that was very sort of gentle Mm -hmm. and and i went into an environment that was not at all that and so i felt very very jarred by it there can be a lot of hazing at those schools i think in in very in different various different ways, yes, and not and not just from the students, you know that the, right. that sense of hazing, as you see in holdovers, in a way too. I mean, that guy's hazing those kids all the time, in a way. So the teachers do it too. Was there a point when you were thinking,
2: well, this is something I should maybe consider pursuing?
3: Well, later, yeah. I mean, I, I went to. I went to Yale University and went to college and then did it a lot extracurricularly and mm-hmm. sort of fell into that. I wasn't a major or anything there. And, but I left it and it became obsessive to me. And I left and um, yeah, it was sort of shortly after that that I think I started realizing it was something that I, I should – I wanted to do very badly and I, I, I should.
2: Your dad died at the age of 51 from a heart attack and I think mm. this was when you were at Yale – and you were getting a master's in trauma. Is that right?
3: No, I had I had just graduated from undergraduate. Okay. And um, a few months after I graduated from undergraduate, he he died of a heart attack.
2: But y- you've said that um, it was because of your father's sudden death that you decided to become an actor.
3: That before that you were thinking maybe becoming an academic. Well, you know, it's 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 all hard for me to sort of be entirely clear about it i mean like i say it was it was the thing i loved doing the most Mm -hmm. i think i thought well i should do something else because you know why i being an actor i just didn't you know but i loved it and his dying was a very profoundly destabilizing thing for everybody in my family he was a very solid grounded figure in the world and for him to disappear in an instant at that young an age, freaked me out. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, and um, I think it, it did impel me to go. I, I, I'm going to pursue and do the thing that I love to do, because possibly your time is short. Sure, and you should really just you know. Kind of and go also, my father had instilled that in me, you know. And so all of a sudden, his absence made that. He's urging me always to do that throughout my life somehow, even more present in my mind. And I thought, I'm going to do the thing I love to do. It's what he would have said to me to do. And so I did. Um,
2: so your dad left academia and became the commissioner for Major League Baseball. And it sounds like he he loved baseball he did. a lot of his life. Did Did that also make you feel like that you should pursue the things that you really love?
3: Yes, I think so. I think that was also a part of it. I can remember my dad when he left the presidency of Yale and um, he sort of took kind of a year off. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. really doing much and and I was in college and I think the baseball thing sort of came through and I can remember him in this very kind of giddy way, <laughs> funny giddy way saying to me, well, I'm thinking about going back to teaching but they've asked me to go and you know, they've asked me if I'm interested in going to baseball, what do you think? Yeah. And I was like, jeez, I don't know. I I was a little bit like, jeez, I don't know. Do the safe thing and go back to teaching. And he was like, no, no, no. I think I got to do baseball. And I was like, yeah, okay, do baseball. And he did, and it was very much him doing a thing. And I remembered thinking, oh. Yes, of course, he couldn't have done anything but go into baseball. The guy was out of his mind (laughs) with joy. He was out of his mind that he could go to baseball games anytime. And, you know, I mean, it was was pure oxygen to the guy. So I don't know how I ever could have thought, like, don't do that. Was he particularly supportive of your acting? Well, I mean, he only really ever saw me sort of do it in college Mm -hmm. as a sort of extracurricular thing. But, yes, he was. I mean, he took real pleasure in it. And that was lovely, you know I mean, he took real pride and pleasure in it, and he enjoyed coming and watching me act and that was nice, you know he's never he never saw me act professionally, hmm. but he saw me do that stuff, and there's something lovely about that because I was certainly having a pure experience, and so was he, I guess watching it
2: you're in your mid fifties now, is that right
3: fifty six years 56, old yes. yeah. so
2: you know, as I said, your dad died at fifty one mm. so you've outlived him now by. By five years, like do you do you reflect upon that? Like the time that you've had in your life that he was not
3: able to have? Absolutely, no. I think about it all the time. Yeah, it's strange to have outlived him. You know, um, it's it's yeah, and it's shocking to me how young he was. I think you know when you're twenty two, fifty one seems way uh, way way off. Mm-hmm. You know, and even as you're getting older and, you know, you're 45 and 50 looks like it's still a ways off. And then you hit it and you're like, oh, my God, he was so young. It's shocking, you know, um, absolutely shocking. And extraordinary how much he did in such a short period of time. I mean, really accomplished an enormous amount. But shocking that he was that young and terrible, you Mm -hmm. know, just just
2: terrible. Let's take another break here. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with actor Paul Giamatti, who stars in the new film, The Holdovers. We'll be back after break. This is Fresh Air.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Made in Cookware. Did you know that many popular dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in Made in Cookware? Made in supplies chefs with high-end cookware because Made in makes exactly what demanding chefs look for. When you level up your cooking, remember what great dishes on menus worldwide have in common. They're made in Maiden. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit MaidenCookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware.com.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Squarespace. Measure your end-to-end online performance with powerful website and seller analytics. Get insights on top traffic sources, understand how your reach is growing, and more. Use code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Listening
0: to the news can feel like a journey, but the 1A podcast guides you beyond the headlines and cuts through the noise. Listen to 1A, where we celebrate your freedom to listen by getting to the
4: heart of the story together. Only from NPR.
2: Our guest today is Paul Giamatti, who's just won a Golden Globe for his performance in the new movie The Holdovers. This is his second starring role in a movie by Alexander Payne. The first was the 2004 film Sideways. Giamatti has also starred in the title role in the HBO miniseries John Adams and in the Showtime series Billions, which ended its run after seven seasons. Giamatti studied acting at Yale and then began his professional acting career in the theater before turning to film and television. How did you transition to working in TV and and movies? And I don't know if there if Law and Order was a thing then, but like, <laughs> was there equivalent of like playing the corpse in Law and Order that
3: you did? I, Law and Order uh, it did exist then, I and I and I'm I'm frequently I'm I'm. Quick to point out, I've never been on Law and Order, which, which I'm probably the only actor in New York City that wasn't on Law and Order. Any iteration of it. There've been what nineteen iterations of that show, and I never was on it. I auditioned many times. You did? Oh yeah, oh yeah, many. For the times. body, or no, never the body, never the body. But uh, <laughs> I wonder, did you? God, to think that you'd have to audition for the body. <laughs> I'd never even thought of that before, that you just had to go in the room and lie on just the floor. Just really still. <laughs> just lie really oh, still. No, he's twitching. He's Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, no, no good. I can see you breathing. But it, 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 So, yeah, Law and Order. <laughs> no, I never did it. And I loved Law and Order, and I still love Law and Order. So it's a real beef. It's a real chip I have on my shoulder <laughs> well, about never being in Law and Order. But there were certainly plenty of things like that. I never played the and... corpse, but I did I did a lot of bit parts. I was doing theater at the, mm-hmm. at the time, and I would do a lot of bit parts because I was making money and I was enjoying it. I enjoyed doing them. you know, but then those just started accumulating more, you know and and leading to more substantive things. Are there any commercials we can find on YouTube of you like um, Hawking I, paper towels? Or... I don't know if there's anything on, I don't know if they're on YouTube. I did some. I did a I did an ad for a kind what was the equivalent of sort of Home Depot hmm. in the southeast but I don't remember what it was called and then it sort of was maybe snatched up by Home Depot I don't know I was in a in a store with a motorized I I had invented a motor for my shopping cart so i could move really fast through the home depot <laughs> it was ridiculous and i did that i did an ad for the yellow pages which is kind of interesting mm. because those don't exist anymore so I did are you some just work? looking like flipping through the yellow pages <laughs> no like... i'm a I'm, I'm what i remember is that i'm a park ranger huh. i have like a smoky the bear hat on why that what that had to do with the yellow pages i don't really remember um but uh, that's what i was doing i like to ask you some questions about Billions, which I said just ended
2: this past October after seven seasons. You played Chuck Rhodes, who the beginning of the show is U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. The Southern District's jurisdiction includes Manhattan, so it's dealing with a lot of financial institutions and white-collar crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, When the show starts, you've won like 81 insider trading cases. You're a very ambitious guy. You thinking of running for governor. And so you set your sights on taking down this guy, Bobby Axelrod, played by Damian Lewis, who's a self-made billionaire with a hugely successful hedge fund. And you think he's gotta be cheating because he just can't be that successful and honest at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you know this show is all about power and control. There's a lot of alpha male energy in it. What what drew you to this show?
3: I think some of that, I mean, I think some of the alpha male energy of it drew me to the show because as we were talking about before, I mean, he's not a sad sack, this guy, you know. I mean, he's a bit of a disaster of a human being in some ways, but he's not a sad sack and he's this kind of very aggressive guy and that was interesting to me, you know. I thought, um, this is interesting. Um, He's in theory doing the right thing mm-hmm. he's going about it and not the great the greatest way um, I liked the kind of cat and mouse of it you know I liked I, uh, early on I characterized it as being a little bit like um, Javert and uh, what's the other guy's name I can't remember name is uh, yeah but the, basically sort of that that I was sort of Javert to the other guy mm-hmm. this sort of driven guy who's lost a bit of his moral compass in pursuit of moral rectitude he's kind of just lost himself a little bit
2: well i think that your character starts off pretty interestingly you're in the first scene for instance can mm-hmm. can you describe uh your first scene <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna make me describe that <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> okay i'll describe it um it's uh it's a scene of uh of alternative uh, sexual engagement mm-hmm. um it's a uh, i'm i he has a uh, he has a he has an alternative lifestyle with his wife, of uh, bondage and domination. And as like I'm tied, I'm hogtied. You're tied, you're tied oh, was, yes, I'm tied. I'll put it. Yes, I'm hogtied. And in your, I, I think did yeah. I have a ball gag in my mouth? Well, some guess, sort of gag. I don't know if I can really. <laughs> I know enough about gags. To know I think it was probably probably a ball gag in my mouth. Um, and yes, that's what that's what I was doing. And I believe that I burned with a cigarette and other things. Yeah. Go on, yeah. We won't. We'll stop describing we'll stop there. it there. But I was just
2: wondering when you like—is that the first scene you saw? Is that the first thing you read?
3: <laughs> no, it wasn't. And actually, that that scene was buried a little bit further in the episode. Yeah. And clearly, somebody at Showtime thought, you know what? I think is really going to grab people if we open the show with this scene because it wasn't the first scene. Now they 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 decided to make it the first scene.
2: Well, you get a lot of fun dialogue in the show, and I thought mm. we should hear a clip. This is from the first season. You're walking your dog um, along the river, and you notice that there's this other guy who hasn't picked up after his dog.
3: Excuse me, sir? What? You didn't clean up after your dog? Yeah, I forgot the bag today. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think so, because, you know, it's not just the statutory law, it's the law of civility, man. And I've seen you before. You come out of that building, your dog craps, and you just leave it where it falls. Why don't you mind your business? This is my business. Oh, you're that guy. I am that guy. Uh, Well, do you have an extra bag? No, no. See, I used mine. Well, I'll get it next time. (laughs) No, I think you need to get it this time. Why don't you let it slide? Let it slide? That sounds simple. Easy, sure, let it slide. That's just some dog. But those are three devious little words. You know, if if I let your dog slide, then I have to be okay with this whole plaza filling up with it, which it would before we know it. Oh, then it would be on our pant legs and our shoes, and we would track it into our homes. It'd be easy to let it slide. You know, why don't we? Uh, why don't we let petty larceny slide too? Some kid steals five bucks from a newsstand. Who cares? Well, maybe next time he decides to steal your TV or break into your brownstone and steal your wife. But what difference does it make? Because by then, we're all living in s*** anyway. Come on, man. I don't have a bag. You have hands. What? Use your hands. Or? Jesus. Holy cow. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Holy so, cow.
2: That's, that's my guest, Paul Giamatti in his role in the Billion. So that sounds like that was a lot of fun to do.
3: Yes. The language was fun. I mean it was very, very Baroque and sort of – yeah, it was it was fun language to do. And I never – I've not having done any other TV shows, I was assured by a lot of people that we were lucky to have the kind of fun language that we had all the time.
2: But I mean that that scene is clearly something else other than just like your broken window speech, like you just want to dominate this guy.
3: Oh, totally. Yeah, no. The guy is just yeah, no, he, he's really kind of out of control. The guy that I play is very out of control. I mean, it's just I forgot I make the guy pick it up with his bare hands. I mean it's just it's demented. Yeah, twice actually. That goes on. He has <laughs> to pick right. up
2: someone else's dogs. Right. Well. It's just demented. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's take another break here. Sure. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with actor Paul Giamatti. His new movie is The Holdovers. We'll be back after break. This is Fresh Air.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor CarMax. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax-certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. Don't settle, find love at first drive. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that
3: hasn't been disclosed yet.
4: Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke, I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Support for
1: this podcast comes from the Neubauer Family Foundation, supporting WHYY's Fresh Air and its commitment to sharing ideas and encouraging meaningful conversation.
2: So I think this must have been, like, your longest job, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. this—well, you you were on the miniseries and you've been on TV shows, but— this was no. seven seasons. Like, yes. what was
3: it like to develop a character over that amount of time? It was interesting. I mean, I no, I'd never done anything for that long. Um, it, it was, it's a lot, you know. And, but it was. I knew the guys who, who wrote the show, so mm-hmm. that was nice. And, you know, I, I we all kind of let them let them take the lead. You know, I mean, I trusted them to take the guy interesting places, and and it was. It was fun to do. It was, um, but it was, it was a lot, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, that character after a while, I have to say, was a very lonely character to play. Cause he's very, talk about a disliked guy mm-hmm. who doesn't like himself Either and sort of, you know, he was a very isolated character, and as much sort of wonderful variety as I got, there was something very, very after a while that got kind of difficult about playing that part. I have to, I have to admit.
2: So, like, you'd feel
3: residual feelings after, yeah, or just, just, yeah. I mean, you know, you do the, you do a show like that, and it's every day, Mm -hmm. all day long. A lot, And there would be times when I was like, whew, I was happy to, to, to let him go mm-hmm. at the weekend and stuff, you know, because it just was a very, you know, he's a very deeply driven guy and he's kind of joyless guy. And as you can hear in that, in that I mean, he takes some joy in being a bastard, right. but it's, but, you know, it's, it just was, a, it was a tough part. From
2: what I understand, acting can be a hard job socially because... Like you work intensely with these people for a couple of months in, yes. in a movie. You develop relationships and friendships with these people. Yeah. And then because everyone goes on to work on some other project, like you – doesn't sound like you see them very much after that. Yeah. Like for instance, Alexander Payne, you had a great experience with him and then you didn't get to work with him again for 19 <laughs> years. So yeah. so
3: what was it like to work with the same mm. people for seven years? That's intre- – no, it, it's an interesting point you make because that was different. And I think the sense of bonding and the sense of presence in each other's lives is stronger. And and in fact, I, contrary to mo- as you say, most plays or other movies, I have kept up with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, the the bonding is stronger in some way. I mean, you really do, you're with these people all the time, you know, and you go through life changes. I mean there were lots of life changes people were experiencing on that thing over years. Mm-hmm. You know, my god, my hair went gray during that thing. Yeah. You know, I mean it's like the changes in people are 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 big. And so I do think that the bonding sense was different because I do. I came out of that with some very good friends. And you know, uh, and that's lovely. I, I I like it, you know. It hadn't happened really before much, no. So what do you want to do next? Are there
2: particular kinds of roles that you're looking out for?
3: I again, I, I never really have much of a plan, no, and so I, I don't know. I, I I say this, and I don't really know what I mean, but it's. But I sometimes think it. It would be interesting this is just a general statement, to play a less verbal character. Mm. I'd like to play somebody that talks less and is less articulate. I'd like to see what, because I I feel like frequently I'm given the part that's hyper articulate, which is great, but I would love to see what it's like to really do more with less verbiage. I don't know what that means exactly in terms of what kind of part I'd play Mm. or anything like that, but I know there's some feeling of like, geez, I'd love to to do more just with my body and my face right. and not so much with my my mouth. Well, so people must really like writing you dialogue. I think they do, yes, which is great and it's very flattering and right. I get great dialogue written for me. But sometimes, you know, it's a visual medium and, you know, sometimes the face and the eyes and the body and the things like that are, are you know, it's it's a realm for expression with those elements that are sometimes more satisfying than words.
2: You're a very good radio guest because you have this very rich and lovely voice. Um,
3: (laughs) I was wondering, like, when did you realize you had such a great voice? (laughs) I don't love my own voice. You don't? No, I don't. I don't love the sound of my own voice. I'm not sure what it is that people enjoy so much. Um, I don't, I mean, certainly in film you can play with your, you know, you can talk more quietly and stuff like that. I think a lot of the reason I have this voice is from cigarette damage and Mm -hmm. things like that. I smoked very heavily for a long time. I don't anymore. And things like that. I think I damaged my voice. That uh, is is part of the reason I maybe have a voice that people like. like. I think um, certainly with Billions, there was something that I enjoyed. And I I made a very conscious choice to lean into something about my voice, a, a kind of quietness and That kind of thing, because I sort of thought of the guy as a bit of a sort of Prince of Shadows guy a little Mm -hmm. bit. You know, I mean, a guy who and, and they did have me often sort of in the shadows, you know, watching people from the shadows and stuff. So there was a little bit of that going on, I guess.
2: Well, Paul Giamatti, I want to thank you so much for coming on the
3: show. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Paul Giamatti stars on the new film, The Holdovers. He spoke with our producer, Sam Brigger. Tomorrow on Fresh Air, Washington Post reporter Julian Mark will talk about the resignation of Harvard's first black president, Claudine Gay, and how it signifies a pivotal moment in the movement against diversity, equity, and inclusion in every sector from academia to corporate America. I hope you'll join us. To keep up with what's on the show and get highlights of our interviews, follow us on Instagram at NPR Fresh Air. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallet, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Simon, Teresa Madden, Henry Baudinato, Thea Chaloner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorrock directs the show. Our co-host is Tanya Mosley. I'm Terry Gross.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor State Farm. In the market for small business insurance, State Farm knows your business is your life. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.